You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. And you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where currently it's not all that smoky here, um, which is a fortunate thing. And we'll probably talk a bit more about smoke as the program goes on, because uh, we talked about it yesterday in our Board of Commissioners meeting. And it's been the topic of a couple uh, editorials in the Register Guard and, and uh, yeah, just this whole wildfire season and the, the impacts of smoke intrusion into communities that aren't even, you know, close to the wildfires uh, is just one piece of a larger discussion around wildfire management. Um, but I also want to be able to spend a few moments to talk about what you guys can do to protect yourselves and your family against the health impacts of smoke when it does get bad. We're fortunate right now that we're still in the green range here in in uh in the valley around Eugene, and they're even still in the green range up in Oak Ridge, up closer to the fire. Um, but it's, you know, definitely um, something we'll talk about a bit on the Bose Nose Show today. And as always, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about if you call us. It's 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and it lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But other than that, I want to go over a few things. Last week, I missed the Bo's Nose Show because I was down at the Oregon Coastal Caucus Economic Summit in Lincoln City at the uh, Chinook Winds uh, Casino Resort, and um, it was a well-attended event. Over 600 people were there. And uh, definitely some interesting topics. They spent a, a lot of the, the event on the cap and trade and carbon on the first day. And the second day was mostly education. Um, so some of those sessions weren't terribly interesting to a county commissioner. One, we don't have a role in the education system. Uh, it's one of the few things that we don't do as a county commissioner. And uh, two, the carbon issue really is a state-level piece of legislation. I'm more concerned there just about, you know, first do no harm (laughs) when you pass legislation. Um, And we'll talk about that a bit more, particularly when we get back to wildfires here, because when you want to talk about putting out carbon, uh, we are currently putting a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere uh, from our federal lands uh, in Oregon, Washington, California, and from the Canadian-owned federal lands in British Columbia this summer. Uh, so 
you know, if you're concerned about climate change and CO2, uh, this summer should be giving you nightmares. Uh, and we should be talking about better management and better wildfire um, fighting and in the long run about preventing all this smoke. But the other issues that came up, they spent a session on marijuana and they had Billy Williams, who is our U.S. attorney for Oregon there. So it's interesting to listen to that session on the heels of a report that came out. And I discussed this a couple of weeks ago about just how much marijuana is actually being overproduced in Oregon compared to the consumption in the state. And the fact that, you know, it's still illegal to transport marijuana across state lines, which is needs federal legislation to change because there are some states that would probably buy Oregon marijuana because, you know, frankly, we grow some of the best weed there is in Oregon just because of where we are climate wise and uh, latitude wise. And, uh, you know, states like maybe Maryland that have legalized that don't have the capability to grow enough marijuana for their population would import from us. It would actually be um, a wealth producing activity for Oregon to grow and export marijuana. But that takes a lot of federal le legislation to change and even state legislation to change and is not going to happen immediately. So until then, there needs to be some way of balancing um, production versus consumption in this state and just all the issues that come around with that. Uh, and there's a real concern still on the federal government's part and could end up um, resulting in a crackdown by the federal government uh, on Oregon and um, our marijuana industry. So something interesting to keep watching. It was an interesting discussion. And then I got to participate uh, as a panelist uh, in a discussion about third-party building code officials, which we've talked about on the Bose Nose show before. But what was interesting was uh, it was definitely almost like a gang-up session on the, the uh, deputy director of the um, uh, Bureau of uh, Consumer uh, Affairs, uh, Consumer BCDS. I'm trying to remember what the, the Oregon initials are for that, but building codes and something. Uh, but the poor woman must have felt uh, like she'd walked into a dark alley somewhere because um, she definitely was got ganged up on somewhat. But what was interesting was the legislators that were there were definitely wanting this to be resolved and, and kind of put the pressure on, on her. Um, Senator Betsy Johnson and the three state reps that were part of the panel were all basically like, this has got to get fixed. Because um, for some of these small cities that, that don't have enough permit activity to hire internal staff, hiring a third party private contractor to do building permit services and inspections really helps them out. And those firms can serve multiple cities and it's a way of, um, you know, meeting the ebb and flow of, of permitting. So, you know, it was an interesting panel, but that's why I was, didn't do Bo's Nose Show live last week. And, uh, you know, kind of gets, gets to some of the topics today. I want to mention a couple things real quick from yesterday's board meeting. Uh, we actually got to recognize our, our um, wellness coordinator and her committee, uh, the wellness staff, uh, uh, internal staff that's part of a committee that, that works on employee wellness at Lane County, because we won an award for being the, the third healthiest large employer in the state of Oregon. We are the number one healthiest employer of any public 
uh, entity in the state. Uh, the only two folks that were above us are private companies. So uh, all the other governmental entities in Oregon that are that are large governmental entities, they rank lower than us. Multnomah County, the city of Portland, uh, the city of Eugene, city of Ashland, they all rank well below Lane County as far as being healthy. And I, I uh, think that's really a great thing because that's part of our story in how we controlled our healthcare costs for Lane County and the taxpayers and how we've been able to, to save about $2.6 million a year in health insurance costs by one, actively working on employee wellness with them and their families. And then two, you know, some of the other things we've done like self-insuring, uh, getting all of our employees onto a couple common uh, plans instead of the multiple plans we used to have, uh, and encouraging a, a, you know this culture of wellness. Um, but it's not just about the money we save. You know, it really changes some of our employees' lives. We've had employees that have quit smoking, that have that have lost weight, are managing their their diabetes and other issues better. And it really changes their lives in a lot of ways. And it really helps us with employee retention and, and good productivity uh, when you have um, employees that are, are, are not worrying about their health in the back of their mind or some other issue like that and can focus on their work. So um, really proud that we won that healthiest public employer, large public employer in the state of Oregon, uh, Lane County. And in addition to that, we got to do a couple other things yesterday. We got to hear from the folks of Tracktown USA about the 2021 worlds coming to Lane County and some of where they are in their planning and just some of the visioning around that. And I tell you, that is going to be a huge event. And, and, and it's actually almost all of the other world track and field games um, were designated by the city and the country they were in. You know, Helsinki, Finland, or Beijing, China. The 2021 actually says Oregon, USA. You know, it doesn't say Eugene or Lane County. It says Oregon because they really are going to involve the entire state in this effort. And uh, it's going to be a huge impact economically for the state. Uh, it's just they're, the, the dollar amounts they were talking about um, and some of the, the studies, you know, the, the, the direct spending was uh, in the range of 52 million um, just from visitor spending, but the total impact was going to be about 205 million. But they're talking about having 13,000 people here just associated with the event. And that's from, from the athletes to the press corps to the officials and volunteers and all that. And they're saying it's going to take. 4,000 volunteers to run this event. So just it, it's going to be really interesting to see um, as that progresses, you know, and, and places Oregon in the spotlight. And they were talking about the hours and hours of worldwide television coverage that event gets. And, and that particular year in 2021 is not a World Cup soccer year. So that won't be a big event that year. And it, and there's it's really the big global athletic event. There's no Olympics that year. Um, so it's going to be the big, you know, world 
competition of the year. So we'll get a lot of focus on television coverage for the state, for the, the local area. So it's really um, kind of exciting. But then that kind of gets me back to the issue of smoke a little bit. Because one of the things I'm hoping we don't have to worry about, because the World Games are scheduled in August, August 5th through August 12th of 2021. So we don't... We're hoping that we're not going to be, or August 15th, so August 2nd through August 15th of 2021, we're hoping we don't have to worry about a smoke intrusion event during the uh, the World Games. So uh, I really hope we can kind of get a better handle on some of our forest management. You know, we can't, you know, count on everything, you know, thunderstorms and, and droughts and everything else. Um you know, the best laid forest management plans can't do much about that, but it seems like we could do a better job of um, initial attack in some of our federal forests, do a better job of, of having the staff available. We're, we're you know, currently at a Terwilliger fire out near um, uh, Blue River and the Mackenzie Bridge area there on the Ofter Heidi. They're having trouble getting the resources to fight that fire because there's so much demand on firefighting resources. We're bringing in folks from New Zealand and other parts of the globe to bolster our firefighting capabilities here in the U.S. this year. Um, we, we need to take a hard look at that. We also have to take a hard look at fuels management and seeing if we can do a better job of that and a better job of having access into some of these forests. There's been a, an effort over the last uh, 10 or 15 years to remove uh, roads from the forest uh, that would allow easy access for firefighters. Um, and that, that road closure and removal program is something that we need to take a hard look at um, and try and make sure that we're not uh, in closing those roads, also closing access for firefighting, but also closing access for the public that may not be as uh, mobile um, to hike through the woods versus those that might need to drive into the woods, say on a side-by-side -side, uh, OHV. Um, so we really need to take a hard look at that. But I want to talk a little bit about why you should care about smoke. And you'll hear this term PM 2.5 thrown around because that's what they measure to measure smoke. And you know you kind of hear about dust and stuff like that. So when you think of road dust and 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 um, pollen and some other things, that's what they call PM10, which means particulate matter 10 microns or, or less in size. PM25, which is smoke in particular, is particulate matter 2.5 microns and smaller. And why that's important is, is PM10, you know, a 10 micron particle won't get very far down into your lungs. But a 2.5 micron particle or smaller gets down into your lungs deep enough that it's getting into the small passageways of the lungs where you actually have exchange between your blood system from the capillaries into the air that's actually breathed into your lungs. And that's where the, the exchange, you know, CO2 goes, get, goes out, O2 goes in, along with whatever other chemicals might be in that air. And one of the things that um, smoke carries in getting that deep in your lungs is um, the byproducts of combustion. And one of those byproducts is, is uh, from the various organic compounds that are in wood, and, and they're also present in, in 
you know, uh, hydrocarbons that you put in your cars is something called PAHs, which stands for polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Now, why is that important? PAHs are known carcinogens. So as, as you know, as you're breathing in that smoke and it's getting deep into your lungs, if there's a high level of PM25 in the air, you're actually exposing yourself to known carcinogens because uh, wood smoke contains those PAHs. You know, on top of that, for anyone that's sensitive, particularly asthmatics and all that, you know, that smoke getting that deep in their lungs triggers the asthma attacks and, and uh, the other issues that might be life-threatening to those folks. Um, but the real issue is, is that breathing those, large, those, those higher concentrations that contain those PAHs is really uh, not good for you in, in many ways. So we want people to, to understand, you know, what those levels mean, you know, when, when people talk about green, yellow, orange, red, magenta, you know, that are on the, that scale that you might see from El Rapa or something like that, and what some of those numbers mean. And um, just being sensitive about that. And some of the things you can do if the levels do get up there into that orange and, and red areas that are really a concern, um, for, for folks' health uh, and protecting yourself. And some of the things that, that you do that may not have any impact on that. And one of the things people need to understand is, is those smoke particles at, at two and a half microns, they pass right through cloth. So putting a bandana around your face, even if you wet it down, doesn't stop that, that small particulate matter because the pores in that, that cloth are too big. Likewise, a surgical mass doesn't stop two and a half micron particles. It takes a special type N mask, and those masks have to be fitted because if they're not closely fitting, you know, like if you've got a beard, um, they have no effect at all because there's enough of a drag trying to pull air through that small, those small pores that if, they, if it's not tight fitting your face, the air just goes around the mask. And, and the mask doesn't do any good. So they have to be properly fitted, and um, then they actually have an impact on, on your ability to actually protect yourself from that small two and a half micron particulate matter. So you so beware of, of you know that false sense of security you might have. And you know, you might want to educate, you know, if you've got an older neighbor you see out there mowing his lawn. You know, uh, and he's got a bandana across his face thinking that's what's protecting him from the smoke. You might want to go have a conversation with him because that's, you know, one, being elderly um, and then being active in that high smoke. The more active you are, the deeper you're breathing that stuff in, the worse it is for you. Uh, we don't need, you know, your, your elderly neighbor keeling over because he's been, you know, had a false sense of security out there working on his yard. So, um really need to think about um, surgical masks and bandanas and all that stuff and, and maybe educating uh, friends and all about they don't provide um, a lot of protection. They can provide some comfort level. You know, if you're actually one of the folks that's way up in Blue River and there's, you know, you can physically see soot and other things, large particulate matter in the air, they will protect your lungs from that material. Um, but they won't do any good for that small 
particulate matter that's really got the dangerous health impacts um, with the, the PAAHs, which are carcinogenic, getting deep into your lungs. So just a couple informational things there. And then, you know, one of the things you can do is find a place, um, and we've got this on our a website. If you go to Lane County Public Health, if you just Google that, there's a link there about smoke, um, and it goes to a page as a whole bunch of information. One of the links from there is a list of what we call cleaner air facilities. And we don't want to call them perfectly clean because you can't take out 100% of particulate matter, but most of these places that we've listed have um, air conditioning and air handling systems that have filtration on them that will give you a much cleaner level of air inside those buildings. So um, that's one of the things that you can do um, is, is find a place to go where you can get some respite and breathe some clean air, particularly, you know, if as you, you know, the times of day where it's the worst uh, as far as smoke level goes in your particular area. The other um, thing you can do is, you know, close up your windows and turn your own uh, air conditioning uh, systems on and uh, it particularly, you know, if it's a central air system, a lot of those will have filters that, that will handle some of that PM25. You need to look on the filter in, in your furnace, and there's a, a number on it that says MERV, which is MERV, and then a number. And you, what you're looking for is MERV 13 or higher will take out that PM25. It, you know, some of the lower numbers like MERV 8 take out PM25, but just not as high of efficiency. So there's still even benefit to having a lower number to some degree. And then there's also some, you know, you can go out and buy a HEPA filter, you know, if you have the resource to go out and spend $150 on a home HEPA system that will just filter the air in a room um, and keep a, a room uh, really nice and clean. The other thing you can do though, is you can build a filter fairly cheaply now because one, Box fans are on sale this late in the summer. So if you go out and get yourself a 20 inch box fan and then you go into the uh, uh, furnace area, uh, you know, the, the heating and ventilation area of, of Jerry's or whatever, and you'll see uh, furnace filters, there's 20 by 20 furnace filters. And there's a way you can get that mounted up on that um, fan and on the intake side and and pay attention to the arrows on the filter and set up a MERV 13 filter on the back of that and I would recommend you buy a four inch um, filter so it can doesn't have as much drag on the fan but um, that will actually do a significant job in lowering the, the particulate matter inside of a building that's been closed up uh, but I will, the caution on that is, is do not run those unattended. Because one of the things about putting that filter on the back of the fan is it, it, it can cause the motor to heat up because it's working harder to draw air in and it's not getting as much air past the motor to cool it. So you have to kind of keep an eye on them and make sure they don't overheat. Um, so, you know, don't, don't be running that unattended, you know, leave it in a house by itself. Um, only turn it on when you're there. It doesn't take too long for it to pull enough air through from the room to, to drop the um, particulate matter down fairly quickly. So um, that that's 
the, the one caution I'll say, if you build your own um, HEPA filter with a box fan, don't leave it running when you're not in the in the facility. Um, that that's a that's a big safety precaution I would mention here on the Bose No Show. So um, again, a lot of that information, including even a video on how to build that box fan filter, is on our Lane County Public Health website. That's all you have to do is is Google Lane County Public Health and go to that link, and then there's a on that page you'll see a um, uh, a link about smoke um, and that from there that'll take you to that all that information and um, you know if you want to know what the smoke levels are you can go to the Lane Regional Air Protection Agency L, which is L-R-A-P-A L-R-A-P-A dot uh, org and that'll tell you what the current levels are uh, all over the county um, they've got a map there that's interactive and you can actually see levels. Um, they actually put in a couple extra sensors up close to the fire there for those folks that are living up river, up Blue River um, to try and keep track of. So really, um, with the smoke issue, there is a public health impact to breathing smoke. It's one of the reasons why you got to be careful about what days you open burn because you don't want to expose um, your neighborhood to smoke either. Um, and uh, just kind of pay attention to what the smoke levels are, do what you need to do to um, get your family some help. And uh, if you need to just get away and get, get into some fresher air, there's a list of cleaner air facilities um, on, on the uh, Lane County Public Health website. But, you know, the main thing is try not to get smoke in the air in the first place. We need to figure out how we can stop burning our forest up uh, in, in Oregon and in, in the U.S. here uh, and work to better manage fuels, maybe have smaller fires uh, by, by going through, you know, greater initial attack and having the right firefighting um, resources available. And uh, that'll, that'll be, you know, something we can keep working on uh, to try and prevent this public health impact of smoke. So I want to stop and get into one of my favorite parts of the program, and that is what were they thinking? But I'm going to remind folks that you can get in here and, you know, if you've got a what were they thinking or if you want to change the subject or talk about smoke, marijuana, uh, Lane County being the healthiest employer, the 2021 world's or whatever you want to talk about, give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that gets you into the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and uh, we'll get you on the conversation here. So in my What Were They Thinking today, I'm giving that award to Kate Brown. And I have to wonder what in the heck she was thinking when she hired an attorney to go around a television station to ask them not to play the scary story commercial about her, you know, because she said it contained false information. I mean, what was she thinking? So there is an organization out there that um, add on. It's a pack. I'm not even sure they're a pack. They're just a um, nonprofit organization that was um, kind of derogatory towards the governor, um, you know, like 
a lot of pieces like that can tend to be you know, political advertising on television. But when you have something negative like that, one of the things you do is you don't want to draw attention to it, you know, if it's about you. <laughs> Unless you know, absolutely know you can successfully get it taken off the air. But for some reason, she thought she had a solid case that it was a, that, that this one piece of the ad, which talked about being able to sell drugs and run a daycare, was a piece of false information based on the fact that, you know, there's, there is some, some state law about not being able to, you know, you know do criminal activity uh, in it and hold a daycare license. But what she didn't realize was there's actually in the rules for marijuana uh, retail sales and outlets and producers, there's nothing that says that you can't also have a daycare license. And in the daycare, home daycare licensing rules, there's nothing that talks about not also owning a marijuana facility and, and producing, you know, marijuana in the home that has the daycare. Um, so there was this, there's a, a, a gap in the regulations for the two where it is possible. And, and there was actually somebody that was found by one of our, our state newspapers that was you know, inherited a daycare licensed facility from his mother when his mother passed on that he had been helping run. But he also owned a marijuana production facility and, and had these two daycare facilities and was actually storing products for his marijuana business in the buildings that had the daycare. So the ad was true. And then she sent this, this, attorney around to ask television stations to cease and desist running it, which only brought attention to it. And it actually made national news on Fox News that she was doing this. Because, you know, it's a, it's one of those First Amendment sort of things. When you start asking people not to put something on TV, that, that's a big, you got to have a good reason for that, because there's this First Amendment thing about free speech and free press and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, immediately the people that ran the ad showed, you know, the, the backing for what they had in the ad as far as the, the drugs and the, uh, dealing drugs from a daycare facility. Um, but all that did was make a lot of people watch the ad on YouTube wondering what the hell this whole kerfluffle was about. <laughs> so the, the folks that were paying to have the ad run got a huge amount of of free what they what we refer to in the political business as earned media um, because Kate Brown made the stupid mistake to draw attention to it by objecting to it without understanding whether or not she had solid grounds to object. So Kate Brown, what were you thinking when you started sending your lawyer around to television stations to pull this scary story ad off of off the air? You know, all it did was allow, you know, I heard one radio host go on for over a half hour about scary stories and kept replaying the ad, at least the audio of the ad on the air, and then interviewed the folks from the pack that was running the ad. Um, and then they replayed that interview later on in the week. You know, it was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, it, it was, you know, 
Talk about shooting yourself in the foot when you're running a political campaign. Uh, Kate Brown, uh, our current governor of Oregon, running for, uh, I won't say re-election because she kind of ended up uh, governor when uh, our current governor resigned in disgrace. Um, but, yeah, what, what were you thinking <laughs> when you sent your attorney out there? Just what in the heck were you thinking? And I have to add a one, another what were you thinking today um, in that Ellen Rosenblum, our, our, our um, attorney general for the state, um, has, you know, came out with a ruling after the Supreme Court ruled in uh, Janus uh, about the um, mandatory withholding of union dues from public employees um, that basically said, you know, folks have to actively opt out of having their dues withheld when the actual decision basically said the violation was in not having an, a, um, a, a informed consent to opt into having your, your dues withheld. So um, Ellen Rosenblum and the state got a letter from the plaintiffs in Janus um, uh, today or yesterday, basically saying, um, yeah, no, that, that, that advice that you're providing to government agencies that says that, you know, you don't have to get consent to withhold, that's wrong. You need to get um, uh, informed consent, and it has to be post the decision. You know, you can't say that somebody that, that, that signed up to be in the union uh, before the decision has that informed consent because they weren't aware of the decision at the time. So be interesting to see how that one plays out. But, you know, kind of a, what were you thinking to Ellen Rosenblum when you kind of wrote a um, set of recommendations for uh, government in Oregon that kind of didn't conform to what the Supreme Court said? So be interesting to see how that one plays out. So... I want to remind folks, you can get into the Bo's Nose Show here at 646-721-9887. Um, just press one. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. But I'm going to drift into a topic here that is probably going to get Jay in trouble because I'm going to make both sides of this issue mad at me. And that is Measure 105, which is on the Oregon ballot for November. And it's a measure that will, will basically uh, eliminate a section of Oregon revised statute known as 181A820, which is about the enforcement of federal immigration laws. And it's what a lot of people believe makes Oregon a sanctuary state inaccurately, because that, that's, part, that's part of why I'm going to probably make some people mad, because that actual statute does not qualify under the terms and definitions of the executive order issued by the Trump administration and the U.S. code that executive order references to what they define as sanctuary, because the law specifically allows for local governments and jurisdictions to communicate with the federal government once they have somebody in criminal custody. And what the executive order and federal code basically says is you have to comply with, you're supposed to be able to communicate, you know, law enforcement should communicate with, um, with 
the immigration folks about um, folks they've taken into criminal custody. Um, so the law technically does not establish Oregon as a sanctuary state. That's the first part folks are probably going to get upset at me about. You know, that, that this whole, the basis of, of the um, initiative and the, and the removal of this law is based on trying to make Oregon not a sanctuary state. Well, the law they're trying to remove doesn't violate the sanctuary requirements that are in the Trump administration's executive order they issued last uh, in uh, January of 2017. So um, it's really, you know, one of those things that, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of kind of funny that, you know, they're, 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 they're promoting as no sanctuary state and all that stuff. And it's like, we aren't a sanctuary state. <laughs> if you actually read the executive order, if you actually read that statute, if you actually read the U.S. code, we don't qualify as a sanctuary state because we do not bar our law enforcement agencies from communicating with ICE once they have somebody in criminal custody. So you know, that's that's just the start of, of my my concerns about Measure 105. Then the second part of it is what that piece of, of statute does under ORS 181A820 is it says you can't use state or local funds to enforce federal law, which is federal immigration law in this case, which most folks that are Republicans and conservatives ought to agree with. If the federal government wants local government to do something, they should give us the money to do it. Otherwise, it's an unfunded mandate. So in, in some ways, that statute actually enshrines what I would consider a conservative principle. Secondary to that, there's a lot of folks that got mad at me when I supported a board order that basically said we were not going to use local funds to enforce a state law because they didn't provide us money to enforce it. And that was specific to Senate Bill 941, which was about um, background checks for private transfers of firearms. And uh, a lot of folks were up in arms that, that we basically said that. So it's kind of, which is it? Is it important that, that, that we have this unfunded mandate type of statute that basically codifies we won't support an unfunded mandate? It doesn't say that if the federal government handed Lane County, you know, several hundred thousand dollars to go out and start um, looking for folks that were in violation of the federal immigration law that we couldn't do it if we chose to. It just says we can't use state revenue and we can't use local revenue to do that. It doesn't say that if the federal government decided to hand us money to do it, we couldn't do it. So. Yeah. And then and even after that, it says if we do arrest somebody on a criminal charge, we're allowed to check in with ICE to see what their status is. Um, so uh, it, it's uh, 
an interesting uh, you know thing that you you've got folks that one believe we're a sanctuary state when we're not, and two that want to delete a law from the books that actually codifies a principle of we're not going to uh, adhere to an unfunded mandate. You know that you know unless you you know give us the money then we might do it, but if we don't have the money we're not going to do it. Um, so I, I'm kind of interested. I wonder how people, what people think of that, but it gets me down to, you know, how do you vote on that? You know, do you, do you vote to delete a law that really doesn't do what the folks think it's doing? And do you vote to delete a law that codifies um, the state stance on an unfunded mandate? Because um, certainly I don't want to see um, some of the jurisdictions willy-nilly deciding what federal uh, jurisdictions they're going to start taking enforcement actions on. You know, I, I'm not so sure I want to see local governments uh, trying to enforce the Endangered Species Act or uh, attempting to um, enforce EPA rules uh, around uh, pesticide use or something like that. There's just, you know, there are a lot of things I don't want to see local government doing and, and I, there are a lot of things um, we're not doing now just because we don't have the resources for it. So why are we going to add doing something that's a federal responsibility? Um, so it, it's uh, it's one of those things that's kind of, you know, I, I, I see both sides kind of not following their principles in some ways and, 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 and um, not being consistent. You know, where um, the folks that are against Measure 105 were some of the first people to criticize Lane County for um, not enforcing Senate Bill 941. You know, and then the folks that are for Measure 105 were some of the first people that were congratulating us when we chose not to enforce Senate Bill 941 on the basis it was an unfunded mandate. Um, and in this case, they're basically saying um, we want there to be an unfunded mandate on local government. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. But in my eyes, it's pretty inconsistent. And when I get down to trying to decide how am I going to vote on that, if there's some lack of clarity in the law that they feel like there's, there's people are over-interpreting it, Fix the words that cause that lack of clarity. Don't delete the entire law. So I will probably vote against Measure 105, which I'm sure is probably going to get a lot of my conservative friends mad at me. Um, but you just heard some of my reasons on that. And I think it's some of the reasons why only half the sheriffs in this state are supporting Measure 105, and the other half haven't taken a stance um, Although I do know there's a couple of sheriffs have actually taken a stance against it because they're concerned about um, the fact that it might cause, um, if that is rescinded, it might cause folks that are victims of crime not to report to crimes. And I don't care whether you're um, legal or legally or illegally in this country, if you're a victim of domestic violence, human trafficking, um, you know, assault you deserve your ability to report that crime and have the the 
you know, perpetrator of that crime um, arrested and, and, and brought to justice. Um, so uh, that's, you know, just kind of, and then there's a secondary impact to that too, that, that it doesn't involve the sheriffs. And that's as we start making it um, local government's responsibility to enforce um, immigration law, one of the responsibilities at least county governments charged with is being the public health authority and one of that, that responsibilities is to try and control communicable diseases. And if folks are afraid to come to us when they're sick um, and, 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 and uh, get treatment, uh, it makes it re us really hard to identify when there's an outbreak of a, a serious communicable disease and uh, is, is a separate concern of mine off to the side. Um, want people always to feel comfortable coming in and uh, reporting, um, you know, when they're, when they're sick so we can keep an eye on that and watch for uh, outbreaks of communicable diseases so we can try and keep them small and contained versus something that's going to have a huge impact on the entire community, which is one of the reasons why you have a board of public health. Um, so kind of curious what other people think about uh, measure 105. Am I absolutely um, off my rocker in how I'm interpreting this? You want to talk about what's in actually in the Trump administration's um, executive order? We'll, we can talk about that a little bit. We can go back to talking about smoke, track town 21, whatever you want to talk about today. Just give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. So um, it sounds to me you got some constituents in your office. Some constituents in my office. Yeah. Are you are you hearing my puppy in the background? <laughs> yep. It's quiet right now, but boy, for a little while there, he was not happy that he's in the kitchen, <laughs> and I'm not. I should probably have moved my computer in there. <laughs> That's all right. I love the timing that he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do have a puppy. If you want to see puppy videos and puppy pictures, go to my my personal Facebook page, just Jay Bozovich. Um, and, uh, you know, you can probably see those. I don't think I've made any of them not private. I think they're all public. So you can go there and, and uh, watch puppy videos because I've got a really cute poodle puppy right now. And, and I've, I've got a really great um, two and a half year old that, that plays so gently with them and is such a good uh, babysitter that the, the videos of those two um, interacting are just really super cute. Definitely has a squee uh, factor. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I'm surprised that I haven't stirred up too many people because I, I posted about this on, on a discussion page um, and it's just generating a firestorm about Measure 105. People that are disagreeing with me that Oregon's a sanctuary state or not. You know, it's, it, it's interesting because I have in front of me the, the executive order from about enhancing public safety in the interior of the United States, which was the anti-sanctuary executive order. Um, now, now the adults parking in the background. Did you uh, challenge them to come on the air? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I, I, it was part of my post promoting the show, but you know, folks, folks don't like to come out and talk sometimes. They'd yeah. rather go back and forth on, on a, on a, on a semi-anonymous way through, through the internet, much more comfortable doing that. Um, but, you know, section nine of that, um, executive orders, you know, is about sanctuary jurisdictions. And it says, you know, it is a policy of the executive branch to ensure to the fullest extent the law that a state or political subdivision of the state, i.e. county or city, um, shall comply with uh, 8 U.S.C. 1373, which is, you know, U.S. Code Section 8. Um, So if you go to, you know, the, the U.S. Code about that basically says a government, local government, has to communicate with ICE when they have somebody in criminal custody. Which, when you go to the state law, it basically says in ORS 181A 820, uh, Section 2, uh, that a law enforcement agency may exchange information with the United States Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the Bureau of United States Bureau of Citizenship and Immigration Services and the United States Bureau of Customs and Border Protection in order to verify the immigration status of a person if the person is arrested for any criminal offense you know, or requesting criminal investigation information with reference to persons named in the records of those agencies. So basically, right there, there's an exemption in that, that quote, sanctuary law that allows you to do exactly what the executive order requires you to do, which is communicate once you have somebody in criminal custody. Well, speaking of, um, can I throw out a topic real quick? Sure. Okay. This uh, is in the local <clears throat> Russia Guard, or as Lars would call it, the Eugene Fish Wrapper. Um, the caption is, the Eugene Police Department intends to lease or purchase several trailer-mounted surveillance cameras under a under a trial project to provide another law enforcement tool to improve safety in the downtown area, including Kinsey Square, uh, one of the city's trouble spots. And so basically, uh, of they didn't say who the safety's for. I mean, they'll sit there and watch the crime and the safety of their own dispatch center. Yeah. But how do yeah. you feel about more cameras showing up in the city? Um, yeah, there's always you know the big brother effect of that. Um, they're not going to be monitored live all the time. Um, they can be looked at if they know there's trouble going on. I think remotely, um, but there's no live monitoring of the cameras. Um, but you know it's kind of interesting because you know I traveled in China back in 2012 or 13, maybe 13, and everywhere you went, there was video cameras on the streets, everywhere. Every city I went to, and I went to a lot of them. So it was it was interesting to see that level of surveillance in China. So you hope we don't get to that here. So at least a mobile uh, video is is not video everywhere and um, not live monitored. I think the the idea is you know if you have a trouble area, you put one of these up, and hopefully it can get um, some evidence that can be used. Uh, in a in a court of law and charging people who are committing you know vandalism or whatever the issue might be, um, it'll be interesting to see um, how they work out. They were talking. I I heard an interview with um, Chief Skinner 
who is the Eugene police chief uh, this morning on the wake-up call, where he talked about bringing them to places like the mall or Walmart during the holiday season to maybe cut down on the um, break-ins in the cars and the theft, the package theft um, that might happen in those facilities you know, versus, you know, if there's a business downtown that's having problems um, maybe with people, um, you know, relieving themselves in, in the back entrance, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> They can be set up in an area that might have a view of the back side of a business or something like that um, and, and gain evidence and ability to control that. So it's a tool um, and it has a little bit of Big Brother in it, but I get why they're doing it. And at least being a mobile system that it can be moved around, it's not like trying to set up a whole citywide surveillance system. Um, as you know, I think Atlanta set one up it's kind of really on the big brother side because you know once you get all those permanent cameras set up and you know, connect that to you know one of the things they're not doing is connecting it to third-party software like face recognition software um so it'll be be interesting to see how it works out whether it morphs itself into more permanent and a higher level of um, video surveillance and the, and the chinese style big brother well i can see uh, the need for it, even though they say right now there'd be no live monitoring initially. But what I would like to see is a color code system identifying who's looking at us. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one will be pretty obvious. It's the EP. It's Eugene Police. That you know they'll have that the logo on the trail. You know, it's basically a tow behind trailer with you know one of those. Um, I don't know if you've seen those light those construction night night construction um, lights where you they have a the arm that lowers and then they tow the whole thing behind it's got a generator or whatever something very similar to that where it's got a mask that that, ra that tilts up and then can be extended that has the actual video cameras on it um, and an an antenna to, to send the video I guess somewhere um, locally but that that it the actual trailer will have EPD uh, logo on it, so you'll know it's an EPD camera system. Yeah, I'm just saying, like like in general, you know, like we have those unidentified uh, uh, cameras on the uh, what 13 of them now, um, going up six, seventh, and eleventh, and yeah, that are that are lane transit districts, lane transit districts, and we've got some others that are that are popping up, and you know, I, I would think that I mean, granted the the law is that if you're out in public, there is no expectation of privacy. It's just, it would be kind of nice just to kind of know, you know, okay, who's recording me? Yeah. That's, well, there's cameras out on Beltline that, that are ODOTs. And right. So there are cameras around. We've got cameras but um, that you can access through Lane County's website. But, you know, one of them's down at Harbor Vista Park, so you can see what the surf's like. Yeah. Well, like like the three on uh, um, on Coburg Road, that they've been there forever. I've no idea. I th I'm guessing it's U of O is monitoring those if they're even still alive. And there's a huge one up on one of the tall buildings, staring down at you. And there's, you know, I don't know. I just say before it gets out of hand, it's just kind of nice to know, you know, who owns this. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I can see though that if we try and develop a color coding system, we're going to run out of colors pretty fast. <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, if it's law enforcement, it'd be blue. If it's a 
if it's publicly owned, it might be like a like a white or a different color. If it's privately owned, it'd be another color. And yeah. And if it's on a public uh, uh, thing, like uh, if it's on a, a power pole or something like that, publicly owned, it has to be registered. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, it'll be it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out over the long run. You know, this this whole because I I can see there's enough people that think they have a um, expectation of privacy even out in public, and yeah. it, there are going to be people that complain about it um, and think it's a violation of their rights that that the police department's putting these cameras out there. Um, and then there'll be people that think it's it's solely to persecute homeless folks versus just it's about crime reduction, not about homeless. Uh, well, you know, it'd be the solution to everything. Get them up. Get ultimately entertaining. Keeps you occupied and out of trouble. And uh, you're you're usually enough sleep deprived while you have a puppy that you really don't have the energy to get in trouble anyway. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, as he's as he's whining in the background. What's what's so funny is he's usually asleep this time of day and i think only because i left him in the kitchen is he is he awake and upset <laughs> <laughs> so in the last uh, three minutes anything coming up oh um you know it it's getting to be labor day so we won't have a board meeting next week um but we are going to be talking about um disaster preparedness of on all days our next board meetings on september 11th so um, we have a really interesting board meeting that day and a packed board meeting. Um, talked a little bit about disaster mitigation in the last board meeting. Um, so it's, it, it, it's uh, going to be some interesting you know, about where we're going to talk about um, where our emergency preparedness managers should fit into Lane County's government. And right now it's in the sheriff's department is where that person sits and should we have them maybe up at a higher level in county admin um, so it has a higher profile the whole idea of disaster preparedness it's not just about uh, the sheriff's department response but there's a a, a entire um, system response that happens in a disaster from public works to the sheriff's department to our public health folks that you know the disaster could be a communicable disease outbreak um, so um, we're looking, we'll be talking about that on September 11th. So, you know, one of the uh, largest man-made disasters ever in the U.S. and terrorist attacks, um, we'll be talking about emergency preparedness on that day, on the anniversary of that day. So um, we're about ready to close out the Bo's Nose show here uh, in a few minutes. And- thought I heard the music coming on. I appreciate folks listening. Hopefully we stimulated a few brain cells during this. And of course, you can always get a hold of us between uh, at talk at krbnradio.net by email. We're on Facebook at a KRBN Internet News Talk Radio page. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week here live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week.